Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Um, okay. Um, welcome to Inspiring Futures. Uh, this is, I'm excited, it's another episode. Uh, obviously, things have changed considerably since um, the last episode. And um, I am talking now to Lucy von Sturmer. Is that correct pronunciation? Yep. Um, who is in Amsterdam, is working in the fields of crisis management, sustainability, climate change, um, that type of thing. Is that correct? Am I giving you a good... I've never been called in crisis management before, but that is what we're doing a lot of. So yeah, I, I think I, I, I have that list of services. I think I thought you might be pivoting to more of a more <laughs> of a crisis management role right now. Yeah, I think everybody is, right? Especially yep. if you're working in communications. No, but that's not necessarily um, our leading service. Yeah. It's actually more that um, having worked in sustainability for quite some years and now also with brands and agencies, understanding that if business is going to be a force for good, we need bold and brave leaders, inspiring voices to be able to convince and and not only internal teams but external consumers and citizens and um, to be able to have influence so essentially we're an impact driven thought leadership agency and we do everything from working with brands and companies to figure out their you like their um credible purposeful positioning so not just coming in and greenwashing but really like what is it that you could take a stand on um and helping their leaders to be braver and more outspoken to speak from the heart to connect their um, personal mission with their work mission and we now also uh, work with individuals so we're doing um, online courses for change makers and individuals across the world just to get the framework and tools because traditionally um, what we do which is media impact otherwise known as PR um, although I really don't like that term um, is traditionally being a prohibitive expense for the people that need it most so we're kind of trying to hit um, a few different target audiences, both from brands and agencies, but also individuals. So it's interesting. I like your map. Thanks. I've got a map of New Zealand and it's, it's in theory a map of New Zealand where I'm from, um, but officially it's a map of Australia that happens to have New Zealand on it. Yeah, I noticed. I noticed. So um, we did we did a little chat beforehand and we sort of recorded it but that was pre pre corona yeah and so we kind of we kind of thought we we were going to regroup anyway um and so why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your backgrounds um how you got to set up your consulting company and your partner and all that other stuff sure um so I mean, I'm from New Zealand and um, my parents are both entrepreneurs and change makers. Um, my mom works in regenerative agriculture and she's an artist, a contemporary artist. And my dad's a designer and he works a lot with the oceans. He's a surfer, a fisherman. He does um, saltwater fly fishing. So like 
this is the context in which I grew up on. <laughs> um, so people that you have to, you have to be a change maker and you have to be inspirational. I mean, these are the conversations that I have with my parents, you know? Um, so yeah, <laughs> they're not so that's much. No older, that's the other thing. They're really, they're, they were super young when they had me. And I, if anyone that has young parents, they know that you kind of grow up along with your parents. So you're exposed to their thinking and their developments and their career changes and all these sorts of things. Um, and so I um, started in media. So I had an agent and I did a lot of acting and radio and all these sort of things in New Zealand, which is a bit of a playground. Um, but I graduated when the first recession hit. Um, and I was working as a news presenter on a local radio station and I couldn't really figure out what, what the path was going to be for me because to be honest, um, big fish, small pond, I wasn't that interested in um, doing more acting at the time on like um, TV series or anything like that. It just wasn't meaningful to me and I wasn't very good at it. Um, and so I didn't know anyone in Europe, but um, I decided to go to Italy and teach English for a year just to take a bit of a gap. Um, and I was really drawn to a lot of things, of course, that, um, you know, I felt like Europe, the European values, so the collective that I hadn't experienced so much coming, growing up in New Zealand, which I would say culturally is a mix between the US and the UK, super individualistic. Um, yeah, a lot of services don't work. People want to always pay less taxes. And I felt this kind of great sense of common in Europe. Um, and I moved to the Netherlands after that, and I landed a job working for um, a major global NGO. And it was an NGO that acted as a fund to invest in technology and innovation to test and create a body of evidence to understand the impact that apps or mobile technology or innovation, the buzzword, could have on local communities in terms of political governance. And it was spread across Africa and Asia. So I got this amazing opportunity as a Kiwi from down under, let's say, to be the digital communications manager for this amazing NGO with a huge budget, creating impact across the world. So for me, that was like hugely formative, I think, in terms of who I've become. Um, and the name of that program was called Making All Voices Count. And we actually partnered with um, the Institute of Development Studies in the UK. And there was a huge like educational critical thinking element to this course. I'm sorry, not a course, this job, which felt like a course. And um, I was there for a few years, and then I was tapped on the shoulder for a head of communications position at a multi-stakeholder initiative, which was really interesting to me because I'd gone and worked for NGOs where you're always the outside voice. Um, and I wanted to be a bit more on the inside. I wanted to work with brands. I wanted to work, especially from a communications perspective, with bigger budgets. Um, and I wanted to see what impact I could have sitting at the table with other sorts of um, stakeholders. And so I was in that role, but unfortunately, um, I learned very quickly that multi-stakeholder initiatives are all politics. <laughs> and um, I couldn't do the work I wanted to do, which was creative communications. And I wanted to take more risks. And I know that I have um, a certain type of voice um, I'm a young woman, I, I want to be playful, but I see power in that. And it, it wasn't the environment to play. And so I went and um, landed a job as the head of, um, or sorry, global communications manager at Media Monks, which is, um, yeah, the biggest creative production company on the planet um, and has made quite an impact recently in terms of their merger. 
was Sir Madden Sorrell. So um, that was a really interesting experience for me to dive into the world of advertising, but I just couldn't kind of shake this activist voice, let's say. Um, and my drive to be um, also just su surrounded by and working with impact makers. I love the conversations. It totally fills me up. Um, the kind of minds that work in that space I'm really attracted to. These are people that generally um, are really connected to their work, but in the best way. And so by this time I'd found out that I had this like USP, which was I'd been writing a lot for the Huffington Post. I'd written for Ad Week. I'd written for The Drum. I'd written for a whole lot of publications sharing my point of view. And I thought, well, now's the time for personal voice. And actually, I think there's a business model to help businesses be as brave and as risky and as emotional and all these sorts of things that I knew I could bring to the table when they, maybe their corporate comms couldn't. Um, and so it's kind of just evolved from there. And then... Uh, a year into the humble brag, I partnered with um, Jessica Hartley, who has worked in the creative industries um, for more than 20 years. And it's just awesome because she really bought into and um, has taken ownership of the same vision. So that's amazing from like an impact perspective. But I have to say that I feel like she has um, taken the proposition to a new level. And like last week, for example, we launched a campaign ironically with media monks so it's gone full circle in terms of who I'm working with um you know and we were able to get like coverage on CNN and TechCrunch and Fast Company like all the big players and so it's so nice to have this vision but then also being able to work on these kinds of projects um and anyone that's ever tried to build a business and find a partner or you know any kind of partner knows how difficult that is so I just feel really thankful as to women to have found the yin and the yang um, and to be working together. So yeah, that's great. That's and where she, is she in Amsterdam too, or not? Yeah, she is. Um, so that, that that really works. It was really important for me to be at that time building um, a physical a physical business. So we have an office with the real life employees. However, now with the coronavirus and sitting at home, we're all communicating digitally. And you know, the people we were working with have gone back home. So our team is spread across Stockholm and um, California and Amsterdam. So who knows in the future how we'll be operating. Wow. So um, what's changed for you? What are you, what are you seeing? Um, what's the view from Europe right now? I mean, what's sort of changed pre and post? Yeah, I mean, I saw where you're thinking about what you're doing from a from a job perspective. Yeah, I mean, I so I I love facilitation. I love workshops. I just love um, being around inspiring people, and I love helping and coaching them. So for me, um, now we're offering all of our coaching online. So I've had to basically do like a crash course in Zoom and Miro and Mural and Slack and all these sorts of things. What's the, what's the best thing to use based on your experience? Um, it really depends. I mean, I choose to only work with a small amount of people because I am interested in um, crafting your story. And so I can't do that with more than six people in one group across four weeks. So it's really different. I think if you're working with, you know, if you want to do a webinar with hundreds of people, I think like something like Zoom is totally fine or you can break out what, in these different what about What about a workshop with six people? What are you, what are you using? Well, I'm, I'm using Zoom again, yeah. but I'm also, um, 
using email, like there's a lot of communication before and after the courses with links and packages and Google Drive and things I'm saving and curating. Um, it's really important for me to have a curriculum that I'm sending beforehand that they can print out and follow along. Mm. Um, and I'm not just like using Zoom in terms of a chat, but I'm actually like presenting in terms of a keynote. And um, but I can't, this is a podcast, so I can't necessarily um, explain yeah. to your users, but I can show you over Zoom right now behind my computer, which is where I do oh, it. Uh, There's a huge whiteboard, yep. literally five minutes by five minutes, mapping where we should be, what should be on the screen? Is it a moment that we interact? Is it a moment for feedback? Is it a moment for yeah. teaching? So it's literally like, sorry, choreographs. Yeah, you yeah, have to, I think. Yeah. Um, so this has all been really interesting. But in terms of what we're seeing with the wider landscape, um, I personally believe that in a moment like this, if you're not connected to your work, you are not going to be motivated. How can you be? I mean, when, you know, people are dying, um, uh, you, you know, a lot of governments are responding in slightly strange ways. So people are, you know, really questioning authority in the system that we're living in. So I think that, you know, my hope is that what comes out of this is a stronger commitment to the new economy, um, that people do feel like, hey, I want to use my time and energy towards something that I believe can have positive impact. Um, and I do believe that what I would like to see more of is more risk-taking and more leadership right now because people are terrified. And in terms of communications, obviously, um, you know, brands and agencies want to have sensitivity to what's going on, and I 100% believe that. But, um, you know, we're doing a lot in sustainability. I believe that, you know, this is very much all interconnected, and what I hope is that governments will not rescue the bad industries, but invest in new um, green infrastructure, and hopefully together we can come to yeah, come together and create a new alternative future. I really hope that happens. I'm not so sure it will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sort of takes us to the point where I mean, I think when when the economy is chugging along and it's going two percent, and yes, there are issues. Um, you seem it seems like there was there was a strong voice, you know, we, we, I think we spoke, it was kind of around, it was Davos time, or it was just post Davos. And we sort of seen, you know, leaders coming together, a lot of talk. Um, yeah. You know, the young Swedish girl was kind of in the news. She sort of disappeared a little bit right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was kind of it was kind of top of mind. It was a very much a conversation that people were having, um, and then the questions were being asked. Well, how do we weave this in? How do we integrate sustainable thinking, climate change into the economy? And now we have this, where it's sort of like a Maslowian hierarchy of needs. But I think that like what you're seeing is some businesses, some people going into survival yep. um, and you see other people that have been talking about business as usual being over for quite some time um, and thinking, oh shit, all right. This who, are the, who are those different camps then? Because that's very... I, me. <laughs> <laughs> it can't just be you. No, I mean, it's, there are traditional businesses operating in survival mode. Um, you know, Boeing, Boeing is, a, is the poster child. You know, two years ago, a blue chip with a significant dividend yield 
that people would say it's like a no-brainer to invest in. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, but every, I, I also think that every intelligent, there is an intelligent business officer within every business saying, okay, like this is not a long-term strategy, you know, like aviation as it is, is not uh, a successful long-term growth strategy as it used to be. Um, so there are different scales, I think, of awareness. So sometimes some companies being like, we need to green ourselves and um, have a more sustainable supply chain. Um, purely because the kind of growth that we want is no longer going to be possible. And there are others, um, probably more around in the consulting space, that are like business as usual is really over. We need to have circular models now. Um, you know, outside of a, a, a professional camp, I'm also, um, you know, have identified with and been a part of Extinction Rebellion, which is more like on an individual level, talking about the fact that the system needs to radically change um, in order to... Um, be more regenerative, but also to prevent uh, a run runaway climate change. And I am afraid that we're possibly heading towards that, or possibly already there. Well, look, so well, it's look, at, look at look at look at Wuhan. The 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 most revealing connection between there are two most revealing connections between climate change and the environment and the virus. Air quality in Wuhan during the virus. Yeah. Air quality now. Yeah. And apparently the water in Venice. Yeah, has fish in now it. Fish in it. Not dolphins, that was fake news, but fish, yes. Um, which is awesome. So, you know, but I then, think but then but then but then the prediction in the US for travel industry job losses is four point six million. Which is massive. And I remember talking to Helen Clark, um, who is the former general secretary to the UN, who spoke about a just transition of workers and industries. And I think that that's really important. And that's possibly what didn't happen in the US when a whole lot of manufacturing jobs actually left, is that you leave people disenfranchised and without meaningful work or without work in general. And I think that governments and businesses have a duty of care actually to create and re-educate and train all rehabilitate people to be able to have safe, you know, safe and secure lives that are also better for the planet, rather than just um, pointing to job losses as an excuse to continue unsustainable industries, like the mines, for example, in Australia. No, I mean, I, I, mean, I think that's a, that, that's a great point. I mean, it's sort of, it, the, the, the hardest impacted will be the developing world. Yeah and will be the low income workers in the developed world. They're gonna be the first, uh, to Which is, And you know, people should have legitimate fears about that. I don't, you know, I'm no uh, grander than anybody else in terms of wanting to look after myself. Um, and I think that um, it's very difficult if you're living paycheck to paycheck or you don't have a lot of security to really be super moralistic about where you put your energy. And I think that those of us that are privileged and that are able to have a bit of headspace and maybe financial security to be able to choose where we put our energy should be really mindful of that. Yeah. So, um, but I also believe that we're, we're, you know, we're seeing a shift now where the people that were working on regenerative agriculture or these kinds of businesses that maybe weren't so scalable and financially interesting, even just being an urban farmer, that we're going to need more and more of these kinds of skills and services. And, you know, the oil and gas industry receives a lot of subsidies. 
So why isn't the equal amount of financial investment going towards green initiatives? I don't think that it's fair just to look at some of these green um, industries and saying, hey, they're not working or they're not financially profitable because there hasn't been an equal investment in terms of like solar energy and some of these other um, alternatives. So, Well, I mean, it, it seems to me, it, it seems um, that obviously infrastructure, political infrastructure, political influence, um, lobbying, the, you know, there's a, the, these, these companies spend, the oil economy spends millions or billions on lobbying governments to protect their interests as yeah. to other more legacy industries like mining, as you suggested. The other, yeah. you know, it takes more. I'm surprised that you left New Zealand. To me, New Zealand is... Not at all. I mean, New Zealand has some of the worst inequality in terms of rich and poor and um, is very much been following the US with privatization of everything. But what about progressive around sustainable green economy? Um, All talk, no action. You know what? We had so few people in New Zealand um, and we were one of the last states to, or yeah, nation states to be quote unquote discovered, very much quote unquote, because obviously there were lots of indigenous people with um, a lot of knowledge and uh, communities in that land beforehand. But we trash the, the land like anybody else, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really interested in moving to the Netherlands, actually, where we have 16 million people in a country which I think could fit four New Zealands. Um, and they've had to think about urbanization a lot. And um, living so close to the water and living under sea level, there's been a lot of innovation, um, you know, and accurate or not, the Netherlands does have a green image. And there's a huge sustainability, social entrepreneurship scene in market. So actually, there were more job opportunities here in terms of sustainability. But I think possibly that's changing and has changed in the eight years I've been away. Um, so, yeah, everywhere. I mean, who, who do you, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear if you, if, if you were, if someone who was interested in learning more about the types of things that you do, and I'm not talking about going to your website, I'm talking more about inspiration. Yeah. What should, what should they be reading? Who, you know, who should they be listening to? Who you feel are kind of figureheads, role models mm. um, as, as, you, as you try to pursue your path? Who's helping guide you? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I think obviously there's a lot of new voices out there like um, Alexandria AOC, <laughs> Alexandria Octavia Cortez, yes. um, Naomi Klein, um, you know, all in their own right in terms of the environment. But um, also, you know, I care deeply about a whole lot of social justice issues too. And there are a lot of figureheads that are being um, outspoken voices there, not only just from business leaders, but even from within celebrities. And so I think um, we're seeing, for example, Taika Waititi, who was a New Zealand film director at the Oscars, you know, taking the opportunity to say, you know, this is, um, I hope that I'm changing the perspective for indigenous kids to see that they can have jobs like these too. Or um, uh, even women like Ariana Huffington, who I have to say has been a huge inspiration to me in terms of being a woman leader, being an outsider, um, uh, imagining a life that she wants and, and being outspoken and, and visible in her own thoughts. So um, for me, I guess, 
I'm just looking at my bookshelf. I've got a whole amalgamation of um, people that inspire me, but even Obama, you know, in the way that he's always spoken from the heart and comes off as really authentic. Um, so in terms of the world of business, there's Emmanuel Faber from Danone, who I saw speaking at Sustainable Brands last year in Paris. And I thought that he was came off really brave and really authentic in what he was saying. And basically he was saying that um, brands need to be out, more outspoken, but nobody wants to hear from a brand. People want to hear from leaders and individuals. So he basically made the call to action, um, which essentially my whole business is um, focused around, which is that it's all about your personal voice. And so you need to get out there as an individual or as a leader and um, drive this mission forward. So yeah, there's a whole-, you know a whole about, um, Is it Paul Pullman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been super outspoken, basically um, calling on businesses to prevent the greatest crimes in humanity and making the connection between poverty and um, our supply. He's quite visible in the Netherlands in the business community. Definitely. I mean, the whole B Corp community are, you know, generally ones to watch and they are getting this um, mandate and understanding it and bringing their values to life in their communications and in their leadership. Mm. Um, but I'm interested in both what people have to say and how they say it and certainly who's saying it. Yeah. I really want to see new voices. And, um, you know, for me, there is an emphasis, emphasis on female leadership, but certainly also people from different backgrounds. Um, and I think that people want to hear from that more and certainly media want to hear from that more. So I'm able to go into a boardroom and usually that's where I feel like I can also live my values because I want to see more voices like that, but also it's better for the company because essentially they want to be more visible in um, publications or on stages. And these are the people that want to be, that, yeah, journalists or organizers want to hear from anyway. So. Do you want to talk a little bit um, about the climate change agency work you did? Yeah, so Creators for Climate um, actually started as an event uh, that we put on last year at Patagonia, um, which was super cool to partner with Patagonia to put that on. Um, and it was the goal was really just to provide Extinction Rebellion with a platform, a legitimate platform, obviously, because there's a lot of civil disobedience that they engage in. But we want to say, hey, look, we'll gather the creative industry, or the heads of the creative industry here in the Netherlands, um, and let's see what we can do to respond. And the response that we had from people that night was, you know, it sold out within minutes. We had a massive waiting list. Everybody wanted to be there. It happened just around the Amazon fires. But also, of course, like everybody knows that um, brands need to be more purpose driven and they're looking for that themselves as individuals. So um, the response that we had was, what can we do? And um, I guess like I am, I'm 32. So I'm, I'm, you know, I have a lot of experience and I also don't. And so what I am needing to learn to do more probably is not necessarily respond to everything but what happened was that it, there was so we mobilized so many people and people wanted to get on board with this concept of creators for climate are we, are we, talking, are we talking dozens of people hundreds of people hundreds wow. and I mean the emails just wouldn't stop and we're you know quite a small agency and so um, basically what we've grown creators for climate to be is a, a volunteer network of, I have a communications team that I manage week to week. I have a brief strategist team. So essentially Creators for Climate is a platform, creatorsforclimate.com, where as an activist group or um, someone with a regenerative solution, a scientist struggling to communicate something, 
um, we've listed out all the types of people we want to support. You can send a brief and we have a brief template so you can submit your problem or your challenge. And then we have a team of volunteer brief strategists. And these are people from all across the creative industries that have nine to five jobs that also want to be a creative for climate brief strategist. All over and the world? All over the world? Or, uh... no, at the, well, this is the funny thing. So it's just been in the Netherlands, but now we're doing Zoom calls. So yeah, like I really need to hold my horses on that one though. <laughs> this is where I'm not trying to dive into everything all at once. But essentially the brief strategist team will submit a brief every Friday. So every single Friday, I have these amazing volunteers sending and writing these punchy, purposeful activist newsletters, which is super cool because it doesn't come from, a, there's no hidden objective. Um, the only reason this works is because people are motivated and they are finding a place to have that voice too. And then the briefs basically go into these newsletters out to these creatives. And um, so far we've sent five briefs and had more than 200 creative executions in response. So these are every, everything from a poster to a line of copy that these activist groups can use. Um, but yeah, it's grown even more now. And so the briefs are getting a lot bigger. Like we have a brief right now from Fossil Free Netherlands. So like Fossil Free, whatever, Germany, but this happens to be the Netherlands. Um, and the call to action is how do we get, um, I think it's 60,000 signatures um, to basically take to parliament um, a call to ban fossil fuel advertising. So that's one of the briefs that we're gathering around. And another one is Fridays for Future, um, but Friday Future Love, so which is basically like, let's create a culture of adults, of professionals, that every Friday dedicate their time and energy to the future. And what would that look like? Um, and we've got more and more briefs that we're dealing with and that are coming through. So that's been a really energizing um, community. But I have to say, like, don't be naive and think these communities just pop up. They are a lot of work, you know? And themselves. They don't manage themselves. They don't manage themselves. And this isn't a decentralized network like Extinction Rebellion is, you know? I'm very much driving this network. Um, and, you know, for me, it's efficient um, because we're able to get stuff done without too much talking and um, ideating. In saying that, I have, like, appointed a group of strategic advisors who come from science and advertising and a whole lot of different industries to be that are obviously my bouncing board so there's a, a, a level of legitimacy that i need to pass with all these people to figure this out but um you know if we hadn't put our time blood sweat and tears to figuring out what this creators for climate concept could be it wouldn't be anything and i think it's been really interesting figuring out how to put an idea into the world, but also drive it enough that it's got direction. And that's really hard when you have a small business. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I went through something similar. We did this thing planning for good with, with a bunch of strategists. What I was interested, what I wanted to do there hmm. was to take the agencies out of the equation. In my mind, I'd seen the work that had been done had been very selfish agencies had done work for nonprofits. Definitely got awards. Yeah. Um, and uh, I wanted to make it less about that and more about individuals. Well, that sounds really similar because um, we are essentially trying to appeal to creatives to donate their time as individuals to sidestep the agency too. However, I am starting to think that there are so many people like us running purpose-driven agencies and businesses that um, 
maybe want to be part of this conversation too. So I think we have to think about um, how do you keep something legitimate and authentic and committed to purpose, but then also how do you scale it? And what I don't want is that this is a nice little side initiative that feels good for everybody, but doesn't actually generate widespread mainstream impact. So I'm kind of interested now to understand and maybe how we could engage more and bigger players to be part of this conversation, but it's very difficult to figure out. And that's also why there are a lot of people within Extinction Rebellion that are in Creators for Climate, because they're the ones that are really holding us all in check so that we focus on systems change and that we don't just fall into the trap of like dedicating our time to creating a campaign for a sustainable, I don't know, show or something. <laughs> well, also, I mean, assume people are donating their time. They're not getting paid, right? Yeah, and that's another thing, like, are they donating their time or is this everybody's mission and they should be solving? I mean, I had the same thing when I was in Extinction Rebellion and a guy came up to me and he was like, don't, don't let anybody think they're donating their time. This is our planet. We all need to have ownership of these things. So I think that, like, I don't really care how people perceive their effort and if they want recognition, that's totally legitimate and fine. Um, we just need to get the job done. <laughs> But yeah, nobody's all, 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 I'm, all I'm saying is there could be a small consultancy that's actually working with a nonprofit and getting a fee. And then there's another uh, nonprofit that says, oh, this thing's free. I'm getting free ideas. Like, yeah. So we got, so this is why we have like this whole um, uh, process now for briefs to basically filter them out. And there have definitely been people that have come along and submitted briefs that were quote unquote for nonprofits. But, you know, nonprofits can earn quite a lot of money. I think we're a nonprofit at the end of the day. Um, and we've had to really figure out what is the criteria. So for example, um, is it focused on like widespread impact? If it's just like an activist group needing one poster for one event, I won't send it out either because they can just ask one of the creatives through our Facebook group for that. Um, but also if in theory, we've created the scope for financially scalable solutions to be able to approach us, but only if we feel like it's contributing to a, a, a beneficial culture change. Um, and we haven't yet had a proposal from a um, social entrepreneur in that area. And I'm curious to see what happens because none of us want to, um, uh, want to, want to get people to work on that stuff for free when it may not serve a wider impact. And I think it's a dance you need to do. Yeah, that's interesting. It's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very tempting, isn't it? I've, I've thought, of, you know, with the Humble Brag, for example, we always hire people from the Creatives for Climate Circle because this is my network of awesome creatives, but we always pay them because it has to be a very separate thing because as, as soon as anyone, us or anyone, would come in and use this talent pool and this creative pool for, for quote-unquote free work, you ruin the legitimacy of everything. And actually... Um, the community and the spirit is, is everything that we've got. Yeah. But I mean, what's interesting is it shows the dissonance between um, maybe corporate, the corporate world and the individual, like how people mm. seem that they, they have this burning desire to do something positive, but they can't, there is no outlet. There are many few, very few outlets for them to um, exercise us. And, and I know, think, yeah, definitely. And if you think about like, yeah, there's volunteering opportunities at every nonprofit, but they're, they're either sort of like build a house or, um, or 
tell us how we can raise more money. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, given that these are white collar intellectual thinkers, conceptual thinkers usually, that's not really, those aren't really places that they're best used. And so, and so you've got this, uh, because we don't have, because these opportunities haven't scaled from a business sense to make financial sense for agencies, then people are left trying to volunteer their time to cause Yeah, it. I, I, when we first announced Creators for Climate, I had a whole lot of creatives send me their impact-driven pro bono work, let's say, that they've done. And I remember receiving this really cool, awesome poster. It looked amazing. Like the design was awesome. And it basically said like, fuck straws, fuck this, fuck that, fuck that. Like everything, I don't know, like fuck shopping. And I was like, cool, like what's the call to action? And he was like, oh. (laughs) And this is exactly what I wanted to prevent was creatives coming up with the impact. Like let the people closest to the ground, NGOs, activist groups, Um, scientists come in with the brief (laughs) you know they're the ones that are already working in this space let's all do what we do best Um, and as much as possible cross-pollinate and share but I think that um, what I do hope that we're creating is an outlet for people to um, be part of positive systems change Um, but you know the burden of responsibility is also on the individual to maybe just some uh, just join some of these activist groups too and that's an invitation that i'm happy you know if people just take the next step yeah so um how do you see how do you see the next few weeks uh looking what are they what are they looking like well i'm in my house <laughs> i know that we're going to be um so my husband's italian and so um you know Mentally, we're kind of on the front line. Where, and I think, where's, where's his family? Um, North Italy. Yeah, which is the major. Yeah, problem. yeah. So um, we are at home <laughs> servicing clients. I mean, I'm doing these online courses, so that's a lot of work, to be honest. Um, and that's once a week at the moment. I've got a course, a group that I'm doing that with. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, uh, we're helping clients I have, I have some clients that have really amazing, for example, there's a book in sustainable fashion that we've been working on with a client, um, which is about agenda setting and, and calling out a lot of other players for maybe not doing their part. And we've been working on this for quite some time and we had the op-ed and the press release and everything's ready to go. And then Corona hit and it was like, okay, this isn't the right moment. Yeah, yeah. So I think now we're going to be figuring out like when is yeah. the right moment. And I know that the thought of my client is, well, everybody's at home right now maybe there is an opportunity to send this out and to create some impact. So there's that. <laughs> there's um, our ongoing like retainer clients that are, um, you know, we're in touch with almost daily right now, um, figuring out, you know, if, if they should make a statement, what that statement should be, um, how, of course, they want to offer their services and let people know that they're still there, that they can work in this new, new domain whilst not being opportunistic, I think. Um, And I think like, you know, I'm just trying to actually be quite proactive with our clients and helping them, you know, people quite fairly have gone into survival mode, both for their families and, you know, a lot of 
CEOs right now have to lay off staff. And that's not fun. And that's not a headspace that you feel creative in. Um, so basically, I'm trying to just offer some perspectives on this could be an insight or an angle or a think piece that you could do that could bring people along with you. Because I think that all of us have gone quiet right now because we're just managing. Um, but it is also a moment, I think, if you really believe in what you're doing, to get out there and, and, and share that. And hopefully, if you are in this new economy space, you feel that more than ever now. Um, so I think that I certainly see a lot of scrambling, a lot of people getting out there and feeling the, the hit because definitely, you know, businesses are going to lose a lot of money um, and business models are going to have to change. But I just, I just, in a way, this is definitely the wrong language in terms of like, this is, a tra you know, this is terrible what's happening. But I, I'm kind of... This let you know how apocalyptic my brain has been, but I've been prepared <laughs> for some sort of something to hit in terms of the system and the way that we were living was very unsustainable. Mm. Catalyst, a catalyst to change. Yeah. And so, you know, I can't think of, I couldn't, I can't imagine how we would all be at home reconsidering how we live and how we spend our time and actually emotionally engaging with the fact that our climate is warming, that places are becoming un uninhabitable, that that is really selfish uh, in terms of future generations, that we are stealing from them. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of hopeful. That's good. That's positive. <laughs> what, so uh, what about uh, staying sane during the quarantine? What, any, any tips or anything you've seen? I mean, the truth is, like, I think I needed to be quarantined. <laughs> so I'm just really busy right now. There's so many things I'm working on. I'm managing a global team. Um, Creatives for Climate now, we do calls on Fridays. The whole, like, literally all... You don't, you don't have any issue with, like, being locked into the screen, locked into your home, not being... Honestly, I really wanted to wait. Like, my plan this morning was to get outside, but the moment that I woke up, I was behind a deadline. So maybe that's too much of an insight into what it means to be an entrepreneur in a small business. Yeah, that's but good. It's not great. That's good. Glamorous or balanced. <laughs> um, so if people want to... I should tell you I do yoga and meditate at, like, 4 a.m., and then I write my to-do list, and then I, you know, you listen sleep. to music and... You don't sleep. Um, so people want to get hold of you, they go to where? Um, Thehumblebrag.com. Okay, that's your home? Yeah, um, where I live. Uh, anything, else they, they sh anything else they should you'd advise? If people could read, read one thing now Ooh. during this. I mean, that's a big, big question. Yeah. Um, I'd love to say something I wrote, but I've been writing a whole lot of stuff for other people. <laughs> so um, instead... Okay, I, if, you could write, if you could write one thing for yourself right now, and someone, if, if the drum came to you and said, now's the time, write us a thousand, fifteen hundred words on something. Well, the, the piece that I was going to tell you to read was um, Coronavirus Capitalism and How to Beat It. That's by Naomi Klein. That was really awesome and gave me some perspective for Where was that published? She just hmm? published it. She published it herself or Yeah, yeah, she just published it. Um God, what would I want to talk That's pretty good. We only asked for one. Can I add one more? Sure. Um 
I think that people need to be brave and engage emotionally with the work they're doing. And if they're not doing work that they believe contributes to a better world, find new work. Um, and if you're not working for a, an inspired and bold and brave CEO that you think is pursuing the right goals, find a new CEO. <laughs> um, and that now's the time to kind of get real because I think that there's a whole lot of potential for amazing stuff to happen, but it's not just going to happen unless we have people that are willing to get uncomfortable and to enter that new space. So we should really be championing bravery and um, trying to be a bit more brave ourselves, I think. Great. That's awesome. I, got, I, I, I have no more questions. I think this has been a brilliant session. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, really, great really, to you. Really good thinking. I hope you stay in touch. I really want to hear what you get up to. Um, and stay safe and well. Thank you. Nice to chat again. Yeah, nice talking to you. I'm going to hope this is recorded. I think it has. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.